this morning as we want to continue our study in 2 Corinthians, we sort of shift a little bit. We've been been talking about a lot of relational stuff for the first three chapters because the church at Corinth and Paul had a lot of issues. Fair enough, understatement of the day. They had a lot of issues with each other, but but they were working them out and coming to reconciliation and Paul had gotten a good report back. And today as we, we come to 2 Corinthians 3, we sort of shift a little bit where Paul moves away because at first he dealt with those things so they didn't get in the way. Just get them out of the, the elephant in the room, talk about it, get it done. And now he begins to reassure and, and reaffirm who they are in Christ and that they're still worthy in Christ and valuable in Christ. And really it's, a, it's an important step in the process because he's now bringing them back in to understand that really the, the, the most important thing is the work Jesus is doing in their lives. The work that, that God is doing to change them and what God wants to do through them. This morning, I, I, my title is Irradiated. And some of you are probably thinking all kinds of different things with that. I thought of bringing a microwave up here and putting metal in it and just seeing what happens. But um, d- yeah, decided not to do that. <laughs> um, my, my, my thought sometimes when I think of irradiated is the Hulk, right? The Hulk was like bombarded with all these gamma rays, I guess. And it, it's not true. It didn't really happen. But um, I know, a surprise. And it did something to his cellular makeup, right? And changed who he was. You know, I, have, I have young men in my home. And so we watch all the superhero movies. Well, not all of them. <laughs> Don't watch Deadpool. Shameful. But that's a whole different topic. Um, and And so... I think of the Hulk and he was changed and that change came out somehow. I was watching YouTube last week and um, once I got past all the kittens, we we got to some of the other stuff and there's this guy that got this toy or or got something from the store that said glow in the dark, right? And he gets it and and he turns off the lights and it doesn't work. And he's like mad in this YouTube video. He's probably overacting a little bit, but he's mad because this thing doesn't glow in the dark. The package said it glows in the dark. And I've had the same thing happen with my, my kids, too, because it says glow in the dark. And finally, his friend came over and took the item, held it up to a light bulb for like five minutes, and then turned out the lights and it was, and it glowed in the dark. And, and that's the process of being irradiated. Uh, I looked it up in the, the dictionary because I thought, I think radiation at first, and radiation when we're irradiated does something inside and can come out. But it actually is also the idea of, of having light shown on something, light infused in something, and then the definition also has to emit rays of light. And so it's this idea of taking in light or something, radiation, and then sending it back out. And that's a description of this text today. And so Paul's going to spend most of the text talking about the light that infuses us, what we've been irradiated with. And then at the end, he says, that means we show that. That means we're the -the glow-in-the-dark people. So that's where we're going today. Um, Some of the history here, some of the people at Corinth probably were were using some Old Testament items to to come against Paul as well. They were using anything they could to challenge Paul and challenge his work there. And one of the things that a, a number of scholars surmise is that they're bringing up Moses and saying, well, Moses is a really cool guy in our history, and he gave us the law, and Paul's nothing like Moses. And so let's, let's look at Moses and ignore Paul. And, and we have the, the whole aspect of Judaizers that we're trying to elevate the law that Moses brought and say, really, this is how we, we 
need to, to look spiritual. This is what we need to follow to be close to God. You got these 600 and plus items. You do these things and you're good with God. But we know from the New Testament that's not the new covenant. That's not what Jesus desires. He doesn't desire just legalistic following of a law without the heart. He wants obedience, but he wants it from the heart, a heart that loves God, a heart that is being changed from the inside out. And so Paul's going to go there in this passage. And he's going to address Moses. He's going to address the law. And he's going to address some of these concerns and show how Jesus Christ and a relationship with him is so much better than the law. So much more important. And he's going to use words like old covenant and new covenant. And just by way of definition, when we talk about old covenant, we're talking about the law in the Old Testament, but the whole system of spirituality that that surrounded the law, the whole sacrificial system. And so picture sort of all of the Old Testament and what it taught about how to be in relationship with God. That was the old covenant. The new covenant is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he died and hung there in my place taking my sin upon himself and once and for all being the sacrifice for that sin as opposed to the old covenant where every year you sacrifice animals and and at every feast you were seeking sacrifices for sin. And Jesus said it's done and he took care of it. Praise God. And so that's the background of where we want to go as we, we come this morning. And I'd like to start not in 2 Corinthians 3, but I'd like to start in Exodus and, and really understand where Paul's going. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in the seats around you underneath somewhere. You're welcome to grab one of those and follow along. If you don't have one at home, please take that as our gift to you. That, that's how important God's Word is, and we want you to have that. But Exodus chapter 34, and, and we go back to the scene where the children of Israel are camped around Mount Sinai, and God Almighty is meeting them there. This is an incredible scene. And, and we want to see it as incredible, not... Some people have taken Paul's comments as well, you know, that, that actually there was nothing there. That wasn't glorious at all. It was glorious. Because God, in His might and His power, was there on that mountain. But the story goes, before we get to Exodus 34, Moses goes up and he meets with God and God writes his command on the stone tablets. And then as Moses is coming down and Joshua with him, they hear revelry in the camp and they wonder if there's a battle going on. And they get down into camp because they had been up on the mountain for a while and they realized that the people had convinced Aaron or Aaron had convinced the people. Somehow they had gotten together and they had built this golden calf to worship. And what's worse is they said, this is Yahweh. It's a cow. But they were worshiping it as Yahweh. Not only is idolatry just painful and and horrid to God, but then to have this image of God as a cow, an inanimate object, just shameful. And we know the story that Moses throws down the tablets and he's angry and God is angry. And the story comes that, that as we go on, Moses comes down and God's anger is burning thick against the Israelites. Rightfully so, because he is a just and righteous God. And Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and, and, and pleads with God on behalf of the people. 
And God allows Moses to become the intercessor of this covenant. And so Moses goes back up on the mountain. And that's the point where we get Moses asking God, show me your glory. You can't show it to Israel because they've rejected that right now. But show me your glory. And we know that God put Moses into a cleft of the rock. He said, you can't see me face to face. You'd die. But let me cover you. And as I go by, you can see the backside of my glory. And that happens, and Moses gets a taste of God's glory. Just a glimpse of God's glory. He's irradiated with that glory. And if we remember when we talked about glory, this is God's inherent glory. This is who He is, and it means a brightness and a heaviness, a weightiness. And it has to do with all of His character and how massive and right and just and beautiful and radiant His character is. And Moses got a a, a glimpse. And we know that new tablets were given and then Moses comes down. And that glimpse of God's glory did something to him. And we're going to pick up the story here because Moses' face is just shining. And he's been irradiated. I love that word this morning. He's been irradiated with who God is and his nature. And his, he's different because of it. And he is glowing. And we pick up the story in Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. This is a really cool story. And so he's coming out. He doesn't realize. Now Joshua's with him, so I'm like, eh. But, but he is glowing. And he comes down. And he's like, Ooh, And people, people look at him and they're freaking out a little bit. Because we read on. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. It's a really important um, phrase for where Paul's going. They were afraid to come near him. Lots of debate about why. Were they just afraid because he's glowing and you don't see someone glowing? That's possible. But really, as we look at where Paul goes with it, as he gives commentary on this, it looks as if they were also afraid because that's the glory of God. And they are a hardened people against God at this point. They had just built the golden calf. They had just fallen into idolatry. They were afraid of God's glory. And Moses represented a shining of God's glory to them. So God shines on him and he's he's radiating that out now. And that generates fear in a people that are not wanting to be close to God. We read on. Verse 31, but Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So whatever their fear was, and and I've told you what my idea of what their fear was, whatever it was, it was to such a degree that Moses had to cover his face just to continue functioning. They couldn't get over it. They couldn't get past the fear, which is why I think it's more than just a glowing face. It's an encounter with a holy, righteous, glorious God. And that was convicting. Verse 34, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. When he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him 
being God again. And so we see the sequence of Moses coming into the presence of God. He'd come out and give God's instructions to the people with an unveiled face so they saw that this was from God. But then to function in everyday life, he had to put the veil back on. At some point that faded. At some point he didn't have to wear the veil all the time. But this is at this point what's happening. And this is the background of what Paul is going to talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. A lot of background stuff today, but it's important to understanding the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we want to look at and glory in the work of Christ in the Spirit in the believer's heart. What has Christ done? How are we to be unveiled and, and be able to behold Christ, be able to share Christ with others? And so we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7 this morning. And the first point in your notes, and the, the point that Paul comes to is Jesus' work on the cross is supremely glorious. Jesus' work on the cross is supremely glorious. Above all else, above the old covenant, above the law, there is glory in what Jesus has done. Because remember, glory is part of revealing the revelation of God's nature. And there's something about God's, Christ's work on the cross that reveals God's nature. So we're going to start at verse 7, but jump back to 6. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And 7 and 8 is, is where we get the first subpoint here. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And and. Paul's going to give us three different ways that that the new covenant supersedes the old covenant, is more glorious. But the first one here is that the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious than the law on dead stone. The ministry of the Spirit is more glorious than the law on dead stone. We have a living Spirit to help us. When we accept Christ, it is not just a bunch of rules that we follow. We are not here to just follow some religious set of rules. We are here to serve a living God who indwells us through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul here contrasts a ministry of death in verse 7 and a ministry of the Spirit. Now, if you're a Jew sitting in Corinth and you're reading this letter and you hear Paul say, well, that that stuff from Moses, that's the ministry of death, you'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. That's my whole life. That's what I've based all of my religious practices on. The Jews would have been startled. In fact, uh, some of the writings of the time, the the Jews considered the Torah as the eternal law. It would never be superseded. It was made for the sake of righteousness to aid the quest for virtue and the perfecting of character. A common prayer in the ancient synagogue, which Paul may have recited as a Pharisee, blessed the Torah of life. And so for them, the law was life. The law was everything. And they couldn't see beyond it. It actually became a veil as we're going to see. But Paul in Romans 7.10 says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And Paul here is showing them that the law, this set of rules and regulations, actually ends up leading to death, not to life. It's a ministry of death. 
Because as we understand the law and we understand the purpose of the law in the Old Testament, and, and we're, we're going to have to move pretty quickly this morning, and there's more study you can do on any of this, but the law in the, the Old Testament served to point out a need for Jesus Christ. It wasn't the end. The, the Jews thought, this is everything. It pointed to Jesus Christ and the Messiah that was to come. See, the law pointed out your weaknesses. Here's these 600 things. You can't do them all. You will fail. You need Jesus Christ. You need a Messiah. And so the law served to point out that they were in a wrong standing with God. They weren't righteous. The law points out the penalty. The wages of sin is death. And we have penalties in the Old Testament. And so it, it, it was a ministry of death because if you didn't fulfill it, you were destined to death. But that pointed to Jesus Christ who took that penalty for us and is our life and is our righteousness. The law had become to, to many of them a, a handcuff of legalism, this constraining force. And, and so the, the common people were, were under this burden of, what if I mess up today? God will not be pleased with me. And it was this oppressive ministry to them. Now, interestingly enough, to the Pharisees, it became a source of pride and arrogance, right? Look at us. We're following 400 of them. You're only following 300 of them. You little scum. And they had this attitude. Oh, look at me. Because ultimately legalism leads us to the self-achievement idea. I can earn salvation on my own. Just like religion does today that's devoid of Christ, just like legalism does today, this, this all just reads as today. If we're just here trying to do the right things for God and we've forgotten that it's out of a relationship with Jesus Christ who paid for it all and empowers us, then we're just following a set of rules that are, we're going to fail in. But it sets us up to think we're better than other people. The law also did not give a solution. It did not give a permanent solution. It gave a temporary solution with the sacrificial system and the animals. But again, all those, they weren't designed to be the ultimate solution. They were just pointing to Christ. There is a sacrifice coming. And so Paul said the law is a ministry of death. Whereas the new covenant is a ministry of the Spirit. And his point is that if if the old covenant had this glory that shone on Moses' face, if it had this glory that everyone saw, because it was God coming to His people, it was still a beautiful thing. It represented a God who was not far off. Then how much more is the ministry of the Spirit glorious? How much more is what Jesus did on the cross glorious? And so he brings up Moses when he says, the ministry of death carved on letters of stone came with such glory, speaking of the glory on Moses' face that shone, that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. Not because it was just weird, but because of its glory. It was God's representation to them. Then he goes, which was being brought to an end. And this is one of several places in the text today where there's a lot of opinions. There's probably half a dozen opinions of what does that mean. And, and I would tend to lean toward what the New American Standard and NIV translate that, that the glory was fading. And, and reminding us that the old covenant, the law, would fade. It would be superseded. It wasn't permanent. Some have gone so far to say as Moses was being deceptive here. 
He knew it was fading, but he didn't want anyone to know so he could retain power, so he wore a veil. It's not in Scripture at all. We just don't go there. Those are the commentaries I just put down after a while. <laughs> because that's just not found in Scripture. This is something else about the covenant fading and coming to an end. And so Paul's argument is, if there was that much glory at Sinai about the, the old covenant, how much more is there because the Holy Spirit's in you? Because Jesus Christ saved you. And my, my hope this morning for the first section is that we just revel in the cross, enjoy what God has done. Don't take it for granted. It is amazing and it is grace and it is undeserved. The ministry of the Spirit, just a, a couple thoughts on that. In Ezekiel 36 and in Romans 8, we get some, some words on the Spirit. But in Ezekiel 36, 25-27, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The ministry of the Spirit is that He indwells us and helps us obey, helps soften our heart, causes us to walk in his statutes careful to obey his rules and do you like it if your boss at work gives you a set of things that has to be done this week and you have no clue how to do it and you look at that list and you're like that's 80 hours of week or of work that just motivates you right you're ready to go that's sort of what the law did here's the standard you can never reach go do it but the holy spirit lives in us And the Holy Spirit is someone coming alongside of us saying, here, let me help you with that. I can show you how to obey Christ. I can show you how to love God, to deepen your walk with Him. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, the law was a ministry of death. You can't meet this. The Holy Spirit, through the cross, says it's all taken care of. Let me show you how to walk with God. So the first, ministry of death versus the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Second is the work of Christ is more glorious than condemnation. The work of Christ is more glorious than condemnation. And again, he's comparing the law condemned us. It showed us where we fall short. It showed us that we were unrighteous. And if you remember that word righteousness, it means to have, be in right standing with God, to be on the, the, the pure and holy path. We talked about what happens if you stray to the right and the left. But Paul is saying here, the cross and Jesus' work on the cross is a ministry of righteousness. Not that he makes us perfect. You and I are never going to be perfect. Until glory, we're going to fight sin. But God looks at us and he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. A righteousness not our own. And and he can look at me and say, there's Ron, my righteous son. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. He goes, no, 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 I see Jesus. I see his covering over you. And so the law didn't provide for that. But the new covenant through Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, is so much more glorious. Would you rather be condemned or declared righteous? Again, I'll go with declared righteous. 
in those verses, he again is, is referring to this glory and, and thinking of Moses and, and the people there rejected the glory. They, they were afraid of it. It was condemning to them. But he says, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it. It's a mouthful, huh? What he's saying is the law was glorious at the time. It represented God coming and saying, this, these are my expectations and a Messiah is coming. But now that the Messiah is here, now that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, that glory has eclipsed anything from the law. Eclipsed the glory of the law. One author said it's sort of like the sun and the moon. And the law was like the moon. And the Old Testament way of, of coming to God was like the moon. And it reflected God's righteousness, but it was a, a lesser light. But if that's all you have on a full moon, you can see anything. And, and so it was a reflection of Christ's love and God's love for his people. But when Christ came, it's like the sun came up. And when the sun comes up, you don't notice the moon too much. Because the brightness of the sun, the glory of the sun, has eclipsed the glory of the moon. That's Paul's argument here. When he says the work of Christ is more glorious than condemnation. In fact, it far exceeds it. It surpasses it. Third comparison there is the new covenant of Christ is more glorious because it is permanent rather than fading. It is permanent rather than fading. In verse 11 there, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And his argument is the law was just temporary. It was going to be replaced. But the work of Christ in your life is permanent. And, and, and what should come to mind here is eternal life and eternal glory, that because of what Christ is doing in your heart, you spend eternity with God in his presence. I hope that stirs something inside because religion, pure, just, just religion by itself can't promise that. Legalism can't promise that. So you have a comparison in your notes of some of the ministries of the old covenant and ministry of the new covenant. But let me just summarize the three things Paul says of why Christ's ministry is glorious. It ends up with the living spirit indwelling us to help us. It makes us be in right standing with God because Jesus paid for all of the sin. And it says our sin is permanently paid for. We can be sure of eternal life. So spirit lives in me, makes me clean, and gives me a future with God. Is that glorious? Don't take that for granted. I've been a Christian for 40-some years. And it's easy to just say, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. Woohoo! <laughs> but it should still blow me away that the Spirit is in me, helping me walk with God. It should still blow me away that I can be declared righteous before God because I am not, but Jesus is. And it should still blow me away that I have a future as a son of a king in eternal, in eternal life. Jesus' work on the cross is supremely glorious. Paul then goes on in the rest of the passage to, to work towards his conclusion in 18. Second point in your notes is Christ's glorious work in our lives will result in hope and boldness. 
verses 12 through 16. Let me read this chunk. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And, and Paul here is referring to everything he just said, the glories of Calvary, the glories of Christ, that that eternal life, that permanent salvation, the permanent new covenant is glorious, and that is our hope, and that makes us very bold, he says. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And he, he's talking about the situation with Moses again, but he's trying to say that we can be forward and outward with our, our faith. We should be talking about Christ without a veil on. Moses had to because the people didn't want to hear. They were hardened. They were afraid of Moses. They were afraid of God's glory. And so he put a veil on, right or wrong, to protect them from that. But that first verse, verse 12, since we have a hope, we are very bold. And that's where some of where Paul's been leading as he talks about his ministry. And the ministry of one that is walking with God should always be characterized by hope and boldness. Always. You and I. If we are in right relationship with God, there should always be hope and boldness. I'll go out on a limb this morning and say if we're struggling with hope and we're struggling with boldness, then we are struggling with our relationship with God. And hope here, as as we've talked about recently, it's not some wishful thinking. It's not some pie-in-the-sky thing like, like I, I hope the angels win the World Series. It's, um, it's, it's actually an assured confidence of something that will happen. Sorry, all, all the angels fans. <laughs> I'm going I'm to get emails this week. <laughs> but it, so it's not some pie-in-the-sky like I, I hope I win the lottery or I hope I'm a millionaire by age 49. It's an assured status that this will happen and so I can take confidence in it. Do you see how that flows out of what we just talked about? The work of Christ, Holy Spirit in us, we're declared righteous, we have eternal life. Paul's like, you should be people of hope. Sometimes I'm afraid we don't give the world any clue that we have hope because we are discouraged We are beaten down, and it's hard. When we look at the news, we feel beaten down and we feel discouraged. Village, we have hope. Because my hope isn't in the government of the United States. I'm not going to live here the rest of my life, or the the rest of eternity. Might live here the rest of my life. (laughs) I'm not going to live here the rest of eternity. Praise God. The United States can fall apart, and I still am going to be in eternity with my Lord and my Savior praising him that's hope and we need to be people of hope it doesn't say there aren't discouraging things that happen but our minds overrule that because we know where our future is and so paul says since we have such a hope we are very bold and he doesn't mean brazen and annoying he means that they're open in their speaking about jesus christ and this actually is, is a wonderful statement that, that we miss sometimes to the Corinthian church. Because what he's saying is Moses couldn't be bold because the people were hardened and didn't want to hear the message, but I can be bold with you. 
because they're believers, because their veil has been lifted because they've turned to Jesus Christ. Confidence and freedom in the gospel. Paul in Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. When we look at our lives, are we people of hope and are we people that are willing to speak Jesus? Because if Jesus' work on the cross is supremely glorious, how could we not? How could we not? Last night, my kids went to Target with my wife and they bought Nerf guns. Again. (laughs) Saved their money and bought more Nerf guns. And they come in the house last night, and I'm trying to get things done. They come in the house, and it is just nonstop. Daddy, Daddy, look at this. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, and they won't stop talking about it. Alicia even has a whole Nerf gun thing because they're building a basket for an auction at the school. It's all about Nerf. Why wouldn't they stop talking? They were excited about it. They were, they were just in, so into this. When we think of boldness, that's boldness. When we think of how are we bold for Jesus Christ, it's not some sort of forced, oh no, I have to tell someone about Jesus. It's He is incredible. He changed my life. How can I not talk about Jesus? That's what Paul is saying here. But when we turn to Jesus, the veil is removed. Think about that. We need to move along. But the veil also represented a barrier. And before our hearts have been changed by Jesus, we have a barrier between us and God and sin. There is no relationship there. And it's only through Jesus Christ that that barrier, that veil, is taken down. On the cross, remember what tore in the temple? The veil to the Holy of Holies, saying we now have access to God. And that's what Paul is saying here people of Israel didn't have access to God's glory. They couldn't see it. They didn't want to see it. But we have direct access to God. You don't have to go to a priest to get your sins forgiven. You don't have to go to the Pope. You don't have to do certain things. You go directly to God and say, God, I repent of my sin. Forgive me. And boom, he forgives. What an incredible testimony to what it means to walk with God. And finally, in verses 17 and 18, Paul wraps it up. And this is really where he gets to some application at the very end. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We talked about that verse a little bit with the names of the Holy Spirit and representing the authority and the the deity of the Holy Spirit here. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from legalism. Not that we don't obey, but we obey for a different reason, with help. And then verse 18, I love this verse. And we all, with unveiled face, because that veil's been torn, we are, we are in relationship with God, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Oh, there's tons of stuff in here, guys. We'll just take it phrase by phrase. We all, all of us that are believers, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. If you're reading out of NIV this morning, it says we reflect the glory of the Lord, right? 
And there's, the, the word actually can mean both things. And there's debate, all this debate, well, is it beholding the glory of the Lord? Because it really means to look in a mirror and see a reflection or to reflect to someone else as through a mirror. And so it's this idea of looking intently and then showing that to someone else. And I was wrestling with this, and I'm like, well, which is it? NIV says one thing, ESV says another thing, and, and commentators are all over the place on it. And, and a couple commentators made the point of maybe it's both. Maybe Paul here is intentionally ambiguous because we both be, we're changed as we stare at Christ, as we stare at God, as we behold Him, as we ingest His Word, which is how we behold God, as we take it in but we also are changed as we reflect God's character to others. So I put a quote in there from one of the authors. How are we to become more like Christ? By reflecting his character. How can we do this? By looking constantly at him. And that gets both of the meanings of this word. And I think we have to take both here because both are true. And Paul is saying, do you want to be changed? Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be more like Christ? Start by reflecting on Christ and reflecting Christ. The challenge to me is, okay, how much do I reflect on Christ? What's my diet like during a week? You know, when you're trying to lose weight, we're very concerned about diet, right? And, and I've heard a lot of you on different diets and things you can and can't have, and it's overwhelming sometimes. What if we were that intentional with our diet of what we take in that feeds our souls? And, and, and here's the deal. I'm not just talking today about adding to your diet. I'm not just saying you need to add beholding the Lord. You do, but what might need to be taken away? A diet usually takes something away. What kinds of things are feeding our soul junk food? That could be entertainment. could be things we watch. could be things we listen to. It could be things we dwell on in our minds. Every moment, am I beholding the glory of the Lord? Am I meditating on it? And so it might be changing some of the music we listen to. I, I'm, I'm intentional about what I listen to. It's either music or it's sermons. Not that that has to be for everyone. But I'm intentional because that helps me behold God. Especially when driving, which is one of my struggles of keeping a good attitude around Disneyland. <laughs> driving. And I'm different depending on what I'm listening to. Depending on if I'm beholding God in what I'm listening to or if I'm just feeding self, which most of our music today does. How intentional am I about being with the assembly of believers, about coming together? How intentional am I to have conversations with someone about God? In fact, last week I challenged you to every day pray that God would help you be an aroma of Christ to those you you touch. And many of you did. I appreciate it. This week I'm going to ask you to do something as well. Every day, at least once during the day, talk to somebody about God. And and I'm not even saying witness. If that's that's available, great. Talk to another believer about God. How we talk to each other, what we talk about matters. It's feeding whether we're beholding our God or not. Beholding His glory. And so that may mean, you know, I come into work and and I work with some pretty cool people. And um, 
It might mean that I, I start the day by saying, hey, what, you know what God did in my life today? What's God doing in your life today? Intentionally beholding the glory of the Lord. That's a pretty easy one to do. I challenge us, let's do that. And then the, the next phrase there, we're being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, into Christ's likeness from one degree of glory to another. And there's several things about, about that that we need to notice. Number one, growth is incremental. 45 degrees to 45 degrees, 180 degrees. This is sort of annoying. It says we're changed one degree at a time. It's small changes that have huge results. I have an illustration I want to do. I know worship team, we're trying to do a song. We'll see, see if we can. I need two volunteers like Jeremiah and Don. <laughs> Not that I'm fixing it. Here, Don, hold that. Go to the back. Jeremiah, come up with me. I'll give you one in a minute. I just want to show something of what this means. Because we get discouraged sometimes when we're changed just one degree to another. It feels slow. Then I'll let you take this one. Take that one back, and I'll keep that one, yeah. It feels slow, but we don't see what God sees. We don't see the end sometimes. We don't see where one degree can lead us. Okay, good, 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 good. We'll see if this this works and illustrates. Okay, so up here, I have two pieces of string, right? Of twine. How far apart are they here? They're pretty close. In fact, they're holding them close together back there. So we're at zero degrees. I'd like to go to maybe two degrees apart. So you guys separate. Right about there. That's about, that's probably closer to three degrees. How close is it here still? Close, right? How close is it at the back? They're five, six feet apart, right? I can't, I can't they're blurry, but um, <laughs> they're farther apart. One degree here, one degree today, God knows might make a huge difference in my life 10 years from now. Does this help us not complain that God is slowly changing us? He sees that. He sees that we are changed from one degree to another. Now tomorrow I'm going to change another degree. And the next day another degree. Because Christ is slowly making us like him. But that's how we learn. And he has an end in mind that is Christ's likeness. Thanks, gentlemen. We'll just drop it on the ground and no one trip on that on the way out. Don't get discouraged that we're being changed slowly. That's how it sticks a lot of times for me. A couple of other things. Growth is a process. This reminds us that we're all on this, this process of being changed. We're all at different stages of growth. You know, my 8, 9, and 11-year-old I expect them to be about where an 8, 9, and 11-year-old should be. I don't sit and have college conversations with them. I've tried. (laughs) It doesn't work because they're 8, 9, and 11. And so that's where they're at in their transformation. The same is true of us in, in a body of Christ. We're all at different places. Where we get into trouble is when I expect everyone to be as mature as I am, which almost always means I'm not very mature. Because if I say that, I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling with arrogance. God is changing every one of us progressively. Now, 
This doesn't mean that we have an excuse to not change. When my kids are 30 and 35, I don't expect them to act like two-year-olds. So we are to be changing, consistently changing and growing. But we need to give each other a lot more grace than we do sometimes. And realize I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not the Holy Spirit in my life. God is changing us one degree at a time. And I can look at you and say, you should be changed 45 degrees by now. And now I am arguing against the work of Christ in your life and his pacing and his timing. The last phrase there is that this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes the growth. We're at 11 o'clock. I still would like to end with the song because I want to end by glorying in Christ. All this comes because of Christ's work on the cross. The change, the transformation, all comes as we behold Christ. There's not some secret formula. There's not 10 steps I can give you for spiritual growth this morning. I'm going to go with what Paul says. Behold the glory of God and see how he changes you. Be irradiated with the glory of God and let our faces shine like Moses did without the veils. Behold our God that gaze intently in the mirror of who he is more than we do it ourselves in the morning and and be a people that reflect on what he did on that cross for us. Every day this week, just talk to someone about something that God is doing. could be a short conversation, but let's just try to put this into practice and see if God doesn't start changing us degree at a time. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and praise you because of your work with the new covenant, because you have given your spirit inside of us that we are not alone and left stranded because you have on the cross declared us righteous by paying for our sins, because you have promised us eternal life with you. Oh, Lord, you are a glorious God. May we bask in your glory and then show that to other people. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.